Our Old Testament reading this morning is found in Isaiah 52, verses 7 through 10, and that is found on page 735 of your Pew Bibles. Isaiah 52, verses 7 through 10. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy when the Lord returns to Zion. They will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is Matthew 6, verse 5 through 15. That's found on page 970 in your Pew Bibles. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, Before we get started today, I should... um, give credit to uh, one of our preaching professors. His name is Daryl Johnson. He wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer, and I am heavily using it this morning. <laughs> um, today we're focusing on just the short line, uh, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So you notice I skipped over your will be done. Tony's going to talk about that next week. This week, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray this very short phrase, We are asking for nothing less than a worldwide revolution. A revolution of our hearts and minds, of systems and policies, of governments and countries, of the entire world. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are asking for cosmic upheaval. Our world is a well-laid monopoly board, and we are asking God to turn the whole thing over. A kingdom, of course, is a place where the king or queen is in charge. No checks and balances. The kingdom of God, then, is where God alone is in charge. What God says goes in the kingdom of God. 
Heaven is that place right now where what God says goes. And when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking for God's rule to be as true here on earth as it is in heaven. And that's not just a spiritual and emotional change. That is concrete. We are asking for God's rule to invade our everyday lives, our houses, our towns, our countries, the whole of the world. We are asking that God would be in charge, meaning that nothing and no one else is in charge. It is an overthrow of all of the powers of the world, the power of nations, and the power that you and I have in our own lives. To pray these three words, your kingdom come, is to pray for revolution at every level. We're not praying for that change through violence. Right? This is a revolution led by the Prince of Peace who teaches us to love our enemies and to turn the other cheek. This is a kingdom that is unlike any of the kingdoms of this world. And we can know something about what that kingdom looks like when we look at the life of Jesus since he is the one who will be seated on the throne. When Jesus preached his first sermon in Mark, he said, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come, he says. The kingdom of God has come near. And he preaches that way because the kingdom of God is present in his own person. You know, if the kingdom of God is wherever God is in charge then the kingdom of God exists in Jesus' own self. Jesus is God in human flesh, right? And he says, I do only what I see my Father doing. In Jesus' words and actions, God is fully in charge. Whenever he says or does anything, we can learn a little bit more about what the kingdom of God looks like because we can see it in him. And so what do we see? We see miracles, which just by virtue of their being miraculous, shows us that there is a power at work that we have not seen before. The kingdom has come near, and we see the king's power on display. But he does not use that power to control or manipulate others. He does not use that power to gain wealth or fame or to try and pull more power to himself for the... Jesus uses that power for the sake of healing and restoration, to lift others. You know, the idea of a kingdom um, can be and has been many times through history quite scary, right? One person with all that power. That's the reason we have checks and balances here, because it can be quite scary. There have been many kings who have exploited their There are people who have struck fear into the hearts of others. But not this kingdom, not this king. Our king, Jesus, when he walked the earth, he fed the hungry and healed the sick and gave sight to the blind and set the oppressed free. He loved the ones that no one else would love. He stood with the powerless and the poor, with the ostracized, He called people by name, looked in their faces, loved them particularly, ate in their houses, covered their shame. He welcomed, forgave, 
restored. That is what it looks like when God is in charge. That is the kingdom of God. When a leper called out to Jesus from the side of the road, Jesus didn't walk past, ignoring him like he was expected to, like anyone would have done, let alone a king. He didn't brush him off. He stopped and extended his hand and touched the man's diseased body. Our king gave this ostracized man love and friendship, healing both his disease and his heart. This is the kingdom of God. Our king didn't use his might to capture all the kingdoms of the world. He called regular men and women to follow and learn from him in gentleness and patience. He called both Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector sworn enemies. The Zealot is a political revolutionary, a terrorist. And a tax collector is a servant of the oppressive government that the Zealot wants to overthrow. They are enemies. But in Jesus, even the strongest of dividing walls can be broken down. Enemies are reconciled as brothers. This is the kingdom of God. But you can't announce a new kingdom invading this earth and live as if it were real without getting into trouble with the kingdoms of the world. And so eventually Jesus ended up on the cross, executed for a challenging Caesar. Instead of calling on his armies of angels, instead of harnessing the power of his kingdom to destroy everything that would threaten him, he went to the cross willingly, taking into himself all of our violence and evil, all of our hatred, and letting it die with him there. He watched the guards nail his hands and feet to wooden planks. He felt those wounds throb as they raised him up to torture and leave him to die. And even then, his words were not words of vengeance and hatred. He prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them, because that is what the kingdom of God looks like. That is what it looks like when God is in charge. Love and mercy take the place of fear and violence. This is the kingdom of God. But while our king would allow himself to be killed by the dark powers of this world, those powers were not strong enough to hold him. Not even death could hold him. This is a kingdom whose power goes beyond any we know. So he stepped out of the tomb. Because when the kingdom of God comes near, there is a resurrection and new life. There is hope, even in the most hopeless of places. It's these things that we pray for when we pray, your kingdom come. A revolution of healing, justice, compassion, and grace. A revolution where love reigns, because God is love. And God is in charge. And so instead of the power of the fist, it's much more like the power of the soil. This is not the power of death. It is the power of life.
when we pray for your kingdom to come, we pray it in two ways. We pray it for the future and for now. And when we pray your kingdom come for the future, it's to pray that the reality of the kingdom of God would consume everything. Every other power. I think I um, have mentioned this before, but uh, Tony and I lived with Katie Brower for about a year. And she had this habit that I liked. Uh, after we, I'm a kind of an intense person, sort of dark sometimes. Um, <laughs> you may have noticed. Um, and sometimes, uh, often, we would get into these conversations that were just really heavy. And eventually, Katie would say, doesn't it just make you so glad that Jesus is going to come back? And it was so helpful for me to locate all of that darkness in that context, to remember the hope of God's kingdom coming in full when all of the outcasts of the world will be touched and healed, when all of the divisions between people will be reconciled, when all of the terrible evils overcome, resurrected, and redeemed, In a lot of ways, this prayer is a prayer of grief. And we look around us and see God's beautiful creation filled with violence and pollution and hatred and exploitation. And we see how huge and complicated these problems are. And we are brought to our knees with only the desperate words, Your kingdom come. It is a cry of resistance to all that is broken and destructive in this world and in ourselves. It is to pray, I see what it looks like when we are in charge. Your kingdom come. And we ask our God to hasten the day when all will be healed and put right. We also pray it in the second way. We pray it for right now. This moment. Every single moment, your kingdom come here, now, this minute. We long for the kingdom to come in full someday, but in a very real sense, it is here already. Um, when we were living in Hart and I was pregnant with Oscar, uh, someone came to the door and asked me to fill out a survey. I feel like Tony might have told you this story, but you're going to hear it again. Um, <laughs> and one of the questions that the survey survey person, I don't know what you call them, asked uh, was how many children live in this home? And I kind of held my belly and said, one, none, one, none. Like, just back and forth, one, none, I don't know. Because um, right, in a sense, I already had a child. There was an actual child living in me, alive, not partially here, completely here. But in another sense, I was still waiting for Oscar to come in full, that I might know him fully. He was already entirely with me, but hidden. And this is how Jesus talks about the kingdom. It is completely here, but also hidden. We wait for it to be fully revealed. Jesus says the kingdom is like a small seed planted in the ground, hidden from our eyes, but working, growing. And when it grows, it becomes the largest of garden plants. It becomes a tree 
so that the birds can perch in its branches. And some talk about that like it's hidden behind a thin veil. It is close, in our midst, everywhere, but separated from us by a thin veil. It's not partially here. It's completely here. But in a sense, but we still have to wait for it to come in full, for the veil to be removed. It is not far off and distant. It is right here, all around us, just behind a thin veil. And there are moments when it seems like that veil becomes thinner, and the two worlds seem to kiss. And it's then that we see something of the kingdom of God breaking into our world. It becomes clear for us. In every act of obedience to Jesus, the kingdom comes. When we repent and believe the good news, the kingdom comes. Every step towards justice and peace, towards reconciliation and righteousness, these are the kingdom of God now, here. These are the places where the veil is thin. Every word of kindness given in the name of Jesus, every wrong forgiven, this is the kingdom of God. Those are the moments that we get to see what it is like when God is in charge. And sometimes we see something like that and we're struck by it. We catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God through the veil just for a second. And so this prayer can always be on your lips. Your kingdom come now and now and even now in this moment, in this situation, in this circumstance, let your kingdom come. As I walk through the grocery store, let your kingdom come. And as I meet my neighbors, let your kingdom come. As I drive my car, let your kingdom come. Let the veil get so thin right here that we will see your kingdom breaking into the world even now, a small shoot of the mustard plant poking out of the ground. We ask God in this prayer to do what only God can do, to bring God's kingdom into this world on earth as it is in heaven, to let that love take hold. As servants of God, we are not the bringers of the kingdom. That would just put us in charge again. Only God brings God's kingdom. But in God's wisdom, God chooses to use us. And one of those ways is that God asks us to pray that the kingdom would come, to bring it in on our knees by asking God for it. And when we pray, the kingdom of God comes in us too. We too are revolutionized. You know, you and I are bits of this earth too, right? From dust we have come, and to dust we shall return. In this prayer, we ask God to bring the kingdom in our lives too. That more and more, God would be in charge of everything we do and say. And that makes it a bit of a dangerous prayer, because it means we have to give up control. We no longer get to be our own kings and queens doing what we will with our bodies and our time and our lives, our money. We give them over to another king. And as we do that, we will more and more catch glimpses of the kingdom in our midst. 
because they will happen in and through us. The veil is thinned out in our very lives. Every small thing done in obedience to God is like a seed planted that will grow in ways that we can't see or understand yet. They sometimes seem so small and so insignificant, hidden in the soil, but this is the way of the kingdom, different than any of the kingdoms that we know. We are a community of people who claim citizenship in that kingdom, not in any of the kingdoms of the world. We are people who have submitted ourselves to the kingdom of God and who submit ourselves anew each day. We are a community who worships a king who heals and forgives and stoops to wash feet. We are a people who pray for revolution. Your kingdom come in my heart, in my home, in my life, in my town, in my country, in my government. You be in charge. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We are a people who can live with peace and joy, even with a clear eye on the pain of this world. Because we know that the king is coming. We are a people who are dedicated to the thin places, looking for the glimpses of the kingdom that is here even now, even as we wait for it to come in full. And we wait together for the day when we will say with John the words of Revelation 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let's pray. Lord, your kingdom come in us and in our world. May it be as true here as it is in heaven. May we see what it means for love to reign. May we see the holy city Jerusalem descending in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. God, uh, God comes to us in God's word, read, preached, heard, 
God also comes to us in the sacrament of communion, which we get to uh, feast together in now. Uh, if you are new or newish or visiting with us today, the way we do this is uh, to come forward and uh, you'll break off a piece of the bread and then you can dip it into the we'll break it for grape juice. We'll break it for you, uh, is how it works. Um, elders dismiss from the back, uh, row by row. If it's easier for you for uh, the elements to be brought to you, uh, just kind of raise your hand and, and the servers will make sure to come to you. Um, gluten-free elements can be found over here, so get into this line. We'll have three stations. Also, we have uh, some prayer stations. If you feel today like you could be blessed by just being prayed over um, by, by two people who are here and ready to pray for you or to pray for what, whatever is on your heart or to pray for uh, others in your life that you would like us to pray for, um, those stations are on either side of the center doors here. Um, and just go as you feel led. I think that's it. From east and west, from north and south, from neighborhoods and communities everywhere, people will come and take their place at the banquet in the kingdom of God. This is the table of God's mercy, and all are invited. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right for us to give thanks and praise. Let's pray. With joy we praise you, gracious God, for you created the heaven and heavens and the earth, made us in your image and kept covenant with us even when we fell into sin. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who by his life, death, and resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. We praise you for the work of the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ and renews all things. Amen.